It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame, and you got the. And there's a. Now that's a follow up question, <laughs> Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow up question right there. If you can be physical and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll always be the same. But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold and the Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for ND Insider and the South Bend Tribune. The off week is over. The first college football playoff rankings are out. A subdued Thanksgiving is here, and we get a big Notre Dame football game for dessert on Friday when the Irish take on North Carolina. We have plenty to discuss this week, and so to kick things off, we invited Dennis Dodd on the podcast. Dennis is a national college football writer for CBS Sports and a previous Pot of Gold guest. Dennis, thanks for joining us. It's an honor. Thank you very much, Tyler. Uh, Dennis, just to start, let's kind of start broad. What do, what do you like most about this Notre Dame team? What, what has impressed you about what the Irish have done so far this season? Well, the broad stroke is I think this is clearly the best team of the three that have been playoff worthy. That's why I asked Brian Kelly that question a couple of weeks ago. And and he went there, you know, he compared 12 to 18 to this year and said it was more physical. It was better, I guess, better team speed without saying it more talent. You know, that 18 team was Ian book as a youngster. This one is a more uh, experienced quarterback with lots to go around him. So you know, haven't I don't? No one's. I haven't seen them live. Few people have. Eric has, but um, just from what I've seen, I'm I'm really impressed. I think they are the perfect change up at the perfect time if they get in the playoff. Now that you know, Nick Saban has said that you know, offense wins championships. Basically, they are to me. They are what Alabama used to be, which was you know, run the ball, play defense game manager quarterback and Ian book is better than a game manager. We know that um, punt field position, everything else. I think that would throw quite a wrench into some of these teams that like a Florida, like an Alabama, like a Clemson, like Ohio state that like to go up and down the field. So I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that happening. I think that's an interesting observation. I was kind of thinking along the same lines too. This is, this is what Alabama used to look like. Yeah. And when I look at, you know, I always look at, you know, five metrics for um, teams that do well in the playoffs and get to the playoffs. And it's usually, it had been run defense, rush offense, pass efficiency, total defense, a turnover margin. I mean, all the championship teams were good in at least four of those and usually all five. Mm-hmm. And like a Florida team is lousy in four out of the five. And, yeah. and so it'll be an interesting it, it'll be an interesting confrontation once we get to the playoff. Um, so there's a question in here. My question is, <laughs> North Carolina seems to be built like Florida. Yes. In that, although they're very good running the ball, too. I don't know what you do to try to take away from them. But 
but how legitimate of a threat do you think North Carolina is in this matchup? Well, I think they are a threat because if you don't take care of business and don't take care of the ball, if you give them extra possessions, that's really dangerous in a team like that. We've seen the scores they've thrown up. Um, you're right. They've got those two running backs. They've got Sam Howell. Their their defense is just not good. Um, you know, I think that's what goes in Notre Dame's favor. Uh, Florida's defense is not great, but they do have some athletes on there. Um, I, but I think that this is probably what sways the game Notre Dame's way in that they can slow North Carolina down enough. North Carolina hasn't seen a defense like this this season that, that would allow, you know, Notre Dame to win. You know, what's the, what's the magic number here for, for, to win? It's, I don't know, pro- probably right around 30 to 35, I would think, given yeah. the firepower of, of North Carolina. And I, I think both teams can get there. So it's, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. Dennis, you mentioned Ian Book earlier. What what has been your perspective on his progression? And is there anyone that he kind of reminds you of in terms of how his career has sort of played out as a quarterback at, at, a, at a top school like like? like yeah, that's like. a good question. The, the comparison question is a good one. I'd have to think about it. I, you know, diff, different offensive coordinators he's made and slogged through it um, – has become better in the process. I think Tommy Reese deserves a lot of credit for what Ian Book does now. Um, he's got better instincts. He he runs the ball very effectively. He doesn't he doesn't run it. He runs it to pick pick up first downs, and he runs it forcefully to to make yards. I mean, I, I think he's got that great instinct. And with the receivers he's got, he's just I, I I don't think he's got a rocket arm, but I think he's got an accurate enough arm to make those throws. And what I saw against Clemson is strategically they took shots. And I particularly remember in that game, I think it was like three different times on first down where they took shots. And that's a great down to do that, especially against a defense like Clemson at that point that was in the process of losing four starters during that game. It's like, Hey, you know, why not? Let's, let's, you know, step on their throat while they're, while they're down. So there's some great coaching going on there. And if you just talk to the kid, he, you know, he's got a level head on his shoulders. You know, he's a leader. Um, you know, I, I think they want to, you know, I think Notre Dame would like him to turn or lower the, uh, the turnovers, but I think they'd like to do that for any quarterback. You're, you're going to get turnovers when you're trying to make plays. Dennis, I uh, thought the college football playoff rankings were really interesting. Tuesday night. <laughs> um And one of the things that I asked Gary Barta in the post-television appearance in his teleconference, I tried to nail him down on the games played differential, that if you're splitting hairs, and he kind of gave a better answer, it felt like, in the teleconference than he did on TV. But I think it all plays into Notre Dame fans wanting to know if an 11-1 Notre Dame team is good enough to make the playoff. Without a lot of surprises happening, do you think Notre Dame would still be in that conversation? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, definitely. I mean, because they would have that, you know, still that best win of the season. They beat number one. And, and I would say if you watch the game, the the score belies the dominance that they had. Um, time of possession, um, you know, you put up 33 in, in regulation and 47 in overtime. But just the – just the way they wore down Clemson. I don't care if they were without four starters. 
uh, that's a very physical team that I, I think would, would have every consideration. Now, what happens around them, that has to be considered, and I don't know. You know, does yeah. does Florida win, and then you got to put an Alabama? I don't, I don't know that, but I, I think I think they definitely would dis, um, deserve a spot. Your your point about the the games played disparity is one I've been asking since the summer, <laughs> and CFP folks w- would not answer for sure. Like I ask in the summer, does there need to be a, a you know a threshold a benchmark there you have to play x amount of games to be considered and bob bowlsby actually told me in in august that yeah that there needs to be that conversation but not now and you know obviously nothing's been written in stone because they don't want to be held down to each other i yeah. love these calls with the with the selection committee chairman it's a it's a it's a exercise of trying to get him to say something nail him down on you know and, and he they're taught not to ever say anything definitively, but I, I did ask Jack Swarbrick that he's part of the management committee um, that runs the CFP. I'll, I'll read you what he said. It was, I, I've already written it. It's in my story that I posted, um, you know, about games played and he's, I'm trying to, I'm just going to read it to you. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, we schedule. Okay. This year, a school that plays six, seven, eight, or nine games would have to be prepared to make the case that those games compare favorably in terms of both strength of schedule and competitive result to some other schools' 11 or 12 games. The selection committee's decision can be made uh, based only upon the games that have been played, not some projection of what might have happened if other games were played. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. That, that kind of explains what they did to the PAC 12 last uh, on yeah. Tuesday night. So yeah, I, I quoted, I quoted Jack in my, uh, on my Wednesday morning story. Well, here's, here's the two teams I want to throw at you. Notre Dame at 11 and one and Ohio state at eight. No, because Ohio state plays three teams with a combined record of five and 12. Yeah. The rest of the season. And then they would play conceivably Northwestern for the championship. A good Northwestern team, obviously. Yeah. But but let's say Ohio State isn't impressive in that win over Northwestern, just like they weren't necessarily in the Indiana game. And yet Notre Dame is competitive against Clemson. What would you think 11 and 1 Notre Dame versus 8 0 Big Ten champion Ohio State? Uh, everything I hear and have heard over the years is, you know, the champ, the, the conference champion gets precedent. But, but again, we're talking about unprecedented times where they would play three games, well, four games less than Notre Dame in that scenario. Yeah. So uh, again, I, I think that that has to be taken into consideration where they would have only played, let's see, how many teams, there's 14 teams in the big 10, they would have played, uh, eight of them. Um, they would have played seven at eight. No. Oh yeah. Eight of eight of them. It's yeah. a champ it's game. A yeah, no, you're right. But, but that, that is actually how many games the sec plays in a regular year in a yeah. 14 team league. So um, yeah, I, I could see it both ways. I mean, you, you make a great point about strength of schedule for Ohio state, but I've been kind of rolling that around in my mind uh, as this as the playoff rankings came up and people, oh, the big an undefeated Big Ten champion is not going to be left out, you know, whether it's Ohio State or Northwestern, and I, you know, I hadn't thought of uh, 
Notre Dame at 11 and one. I had started thinking about, uh, you know, a Cincinnati and 11 and 0 if there was a spot open, not necessarily in comparison with the Big Ten. But, you know, what about Cincinnati at 11 and 0, which would have played at that point six teams that spent at least two weeks in the top 25. And I think I, I think there, there's I like a spot Cincinnati. for them if certain things happen. So I think that's something they're, they're going to have to consider it, and they're going to have to rationalize it to the public if, if they do it. Dennis, you mentioned sort of what Notre Dame could potentially do in a playoff scenario this year. To me, it's, it's also – I think it's curious because I'm not sure if Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State, the teams that they would play in the playoff, are as good as they have been in the past. What is your perspective on that? Do you feel like they're – the, the top-level teams are as, as high of a level they have been in previous years? No, just because um, they're not complete teams. Nick Saban, you know, said it earlier this season, basically said offense wins championships. And, and I, think, I, I think he's right in that playing good defense used to mean – you used to see teams – the leader in the country allowed 10 points a game. Well, now it's 24 in a regular season. That's a good, that's a good average to give up. But I, I think you saw things change in the last few years, and I think LSU was the tipping point when, um, you know, they won a national championship basically outscoring people with the third worst defense of any national champion since, uh, since in, in the wire service area since 19, era, era since 1936. Uh, and I think that said something. I think the only teams that were worse, I think one of the Penn State championship teams under under Joe Paterno were worse statistically defensively. Uh, and then there was another I can't remember. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think the first thing you have to think about in competing for a championship is you have to have a quarterback and you, ha- you have to have receivers. It, you know, not, not to necessarily win. I'm talking about win at all. Because you see Alabama on an off day, they can outscore people. Um, you know, they've just taken everybody out. But, they, you know, they, they, they took out a really good Georgia defense and won by 24 points, I think it was. They've lost their best receiver, the best receiver in the country, in Jeremy Waddle, and they continue to prosper. So that helps. I mean, you see, you see it with the Kansas City Chiefs, where I live, and teams have tried it. They try to hold the ball and make Kansas City value their possessions, but the really good teams hit on enough possessions that you end up chasing points anyway. So I think I think it starts with that these days. Dennis, how has your opinion, if at all, changed about Brian Kelly from 2016 when he was kind of on the ropes to what he is now in 2020? Yeah, I don't have a problem saying it. I think he's an elite coach who – again, will, you know, if he fulfills this latest contract, will be the second longest tenured coach in, in Notre Dame history uh, next to Newt Rockney. And I think there's something to be said for that. I, I, I do think he's an elite coach to, if he does it, to lead, lead this team uh, to three playoff berths or one BCS and two playoff berths in this era given what Notre Dame is as an independent and, and the academic limits that they have, you know, let's, let's put that out there. I think he's matured as a coach. I think to give Tommy Reese that job at age 27 
took some foresight and some faith. And obviously he had it. He knows more than any of us about Tommy and it's worked out. Uh, the recruiting has been good. I think he's learned more about what he needs to compete at a national level. I keep going back to that 2018 game and they didn't deserve to be on the same field with Clemson. And, and I think a lot was learned from that. Um, and, and again, there were limitations. Ian Book was young, but uh, Clemson was at the top of their game and, and is very, very good. Uh, I, I think Notre Dame made leaps and bounds from 16 under Brian Kelly. And, and any, of those, any of those lists you put together these days of the, of the top coaches in the country has to include him. Dennis, I think uh, with all the noise that Dabo Sweeney's been making this week about <laughs> the Florida State game, I think Notre Dame fans are a little afraid of somehow Dabo having enough sway for that game to not get rescheduled on December 12th. Do you think there's any chance the ACC would let that happen, um, especially considering that Notre Dame is going to be playing a rescheduled game on December 12th as well? Yeah, the, the Florida State game? Yeah. Yeah, I don't – this is just my observation. I don't think the game will be played um, – I think Clemson will, you know, they're mad enough at Florida State right now. Uh, and both both schools are mad at each other. Uh, and I'm not going to – I don't think there's a right answer there. But, you know, strategically that would give Clemson a, a bye week before the championship game. And that, that I, I don't think, you know, at that point, you know, I, I don't know how much desire there would be on in the heart of hearts of Florida State players. I know they'd want to play the game, but it's like with a lot of these teams, like with Michigan, Penn State, some of these teams that have underachieved, you got to think in the locker room that what are we doing this for? You know, why are we putting ourselves out there, exposing ourselves to this virus and, and we're not getting any reward for it? So that's just, that's just my thought. I don't think the game gets rescheduled because if it would, it would have been right away okay, we're not going to play Saturday, but you know what? We got a, a spot on the 12th. What, what's the wait? What's the hang-up? The spot is there. Announce the game if you want to play it. I think uh, Dabble wants Florida State to come to the, to Death Valley and not be allowed to eat at the smoking pig before he <laughs> or buy Or buy the meal. <laughs> right. Or both teams. Um, <laughs> um, you know – uh, this is really a difficult question in the first part to answer. Do you think in 2021 we'll be back to playing normal schedules? And the second part of it is when we look back at this season, how will we remember 2020? Oh, you know, will we remember it as an amazing, amazing thing, or we remember it as, boy, they shouldn't have even done the tried this? I, I think there'll be some of both. You know, yeah. it'll be like – the, the lengths they went through to try to play and the, the ham-handed way the Big Ten got started. I mean, that I don't think anybody's a hero there. But, you know, they did it, and they did it in what they thought thought was their best interest, and, and everybody agreed on it after canceling. That's, that's another whole story. But I think it's I, – I already have the working title for the book. It's called The Asterisk Season because everybody's going to look back on that and talk about the stuff we're talking about. Yeah, they only played eight games, and that this guy at Iowa State ran for twelve hundred yards in ten games, and that's pretty good. And you know, is it really a championship if you don't play all the games? So, it's we're going to look back on it. I don't. We won't know the answers to some of these questions for a couple of years. Like who was right? Yeah. Who was wrong? Was was the Big Ten right? 
you know, now we're seeing like right now, it looks really, really dicey. You know, we have um, outbreaks all over the country. Right. So, I, you know, I'm not going to pronounce sentence on these people, but in terms of um, what was your, your, your other question was getting back to the regular schedules next year. Oh yeah. No, uh, God, that's a great question. I, I wrote a story a month ago quoting experts, just these medical experts saying you shouldn't expect full stadiums next year. At that point, it was 10 and a half months till next year's kickoff. And I don't think anybody, if you're looking at it right now, would you expect to stand shoulder to shoulder in Notre Dame stadium with 80,000 people? Can you envision that? I can't next year. Now, do do we play all the games? You know, I think they'll try. Um, and they have a template now for if they don't, then they can try to use these bye weeks. But and we still haven't gotten through this season, you know, all the way. So I think they'll schedule them and they'll try. Uh, with with, I think by that time we'll have a vaccine in place. Yeah. But I I, I do I and, and it's been proven that you know, you virtually can't transmit it on the field. So I think the issue is then public safety attendance. And there will be people that that want to spend money, but they want to spend money safely. And that includes uh, football games, baseball games, theater, uh, conventions, everything. I think those will be real slow to come back. Dennis, last question for me. Uh, We've talked about Tommy Reese and Brian Kelly. You talked about Notre Dame's defense. I'm I'm curious what – your thoughts are on Clark Lee as a defensive coordinator and what the potential market could be for him this offseason as a, as a head coach. And, and do you think there's, it's going to be a weird sort of offseason with maybe coaches sticking into jobs because teams don't want to pay buyouts and how, how that all is going to play out this I, I thought it was going to be like that until um, South Carolina swaddled like a $30 million burger with, uh, with Will Muschamp because it's right. going to take $30 million to change coaches. So – I've been talking to guys. I, I don't think it's going to be crazy, but it's not going to, you're not going to see mulligan years for some of these coaches that are on the hot seat. You know, you still, you still look it's early signing day is December 18th. You still got to present your best face to those guys when you sign them, even though you haven't seen them face to face because of uh, the dead period. Uh but I, I think it, it could be really interesting. You know, the Hugh Freeze thing fascinates me. He looks like the leader in the clubhouse at South Carolina. But what's to keep him from just staying another year and seeing if Tennessee opens up, which it, it content, it historically contends for championships? And what if Tennessee opens up this season? You know, what happens to Clay Helton at USC or not, if he goes to the Pac-12 championship game, how do you fire him then? And there's a lot of people that – but your question was about Clark Lee. He'll, he'll be very valued. Um, I have to admit, I, I don't know much about his background. I love his defense. I love Jeremiah Awusu Karamoa. The fact that I have sat down and learned how to say his name, <laughs> I think it's a tribute to me, but I love the kid. Um, and, and they play hard. They – they're – line up and physically beat you up that's taken years to develop and I, I think he'll be will Notre Dame have a tough time holding on to him considering what they've done yeah probably last one for me Dennis is you know it's it's a shame these kids have worked so hard to try to stay virus free and then you have 
the communities around them, yeah, you know, you just don't have control. So if you were the czar of college sports, would you plunge ahead with college basketball? Uh, no, right now, no. I mean, I've been talking about that with medical people, just anecdotally, not not working on a story necessarily, but seeing what we've seen, you're playing indoors, you're playing two or three times a week. We've seen all this problem with contact tracing in, in football where it can take you out for a game. You only need a few guys in basketball to be taken out to, to cancel a game. And when do you make those up? And they seem to be okay with traveling all over the country, Kansas and Gonzaga and Fort Myers, Florida. Um, I think a better idea would have been to just play conference games only. At least that cuts down on the travel. But I, as it stands right now, I, I think it's going to be a nightmare. Um, you know, I think the NCAA has tried to do the right thing by putting the, the tournament in Indianapolis. That's a smart thing to do. But gosh, how do we get there? You know, it's just going to, unless again, by are we? You know, by March, do we have a a uh, a vaccine that's workable? I, I don't think that's something we can assume. So I, I think they're really going to. Uh, you know, football is ending. That's it's going to get through it, I guess. But basketball looks like a nightmare to me. All right, Dennis. Well, we really appreciate you taking time to talk to us today, and hopefully, we uh, see you somewhere down the road. That'd be great. Thanks for having me on, guys, and happy uh, happy holidays. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll get back to the podcast in a moment, but first, a word from Coors Light. You know, life today is kind of a lot. We're always forced to be on, but every now and then, it's important to just stop, crack open a mountain-cooled Coors Light, and chill out. So when you choose to turn off, choose the one beer that's literally made to chill, Coors Light. Coors Light is brewed with a three-step cold process. It's cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. The mountains on Coors Light cold-activated bottles and cans turn blue when chilled to perfection. When your game is on this weekend, or any game for that matter, make sure your refrigerator is stocked up with the one beer that's made to chill, Coors Light. When life has got you on the go, 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 take a minute, relax, and enjoy a cold Coors Light. You can even have Coors Light delivered to your door by going to get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Now it's time for Place Your Bets. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? This is our segment dedicated to the degenerates. Let's make some prop bets for Notre Dame, North Carolina. First one I have for us, Eric, is will any UNC running back rush for 100 yards or more? Well, they have two that are averaging over 100 yards a game. Right. Uh, Michael Carter and Javante Williams. You know, I went back, you know, North Carolina has not played a team higher in total defense than the number 54 this season. Uh, They've played two teams higher than number 71 in rush defense, and that's Virginia at 41 and BC at 58. So they haven't seen anything like Notre Dame's rush defense, which is four. But I don't think – Notre Dame can tilt their defense quite toward the run as much as they did against Clemson. Uh, first of all, North Carolina is a better running team than Clemson, and Sam Howell will get you deep. So I, I, I look back at last year's Clemson-North Carolina game, and I believe Carter had 99 yards in that game. 
So I'm going to say one of the two will get to a hundred. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's a real tough decision that Clark Lee has to, has to face and how much he wants to lean one way or the other in terms of stopping the run of the pass. I'm going to, I'm going to say no. Um, my thoughts of how the game is going to play out is that maybe Notre Dame can build a lead and score early. So North Carolina maybe loses some patience in terms of running the football. Um, so I think that could, that could play a factor. Um, but I do think, and then obviously the fact that they're splitting carries, it makes it harder for one of those guys to go over hundred. If the defense is playing well, um, they're, they're not going to be relying on just one guy necessarily. So I will go with, I will go with no, um, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me if, if either of them rushed for 100 yards. Next one is over under one and a half turnovers for Notre Dame's defense. Well, I, I don't – North Carolina isn't especially turnover prone. I mean, their mistakes are in their special teams. They're, they're probably the worst special teams team I've ever seen of a team that's this good in other things. It's, it's shocking how bad they are special teams. Uh, but I think Notre Dame will present them, you know, with some athletes that they've never seen before in terms of speed this year. And that will come in the, that will engender a couple of mistakes. So I'll go over. I, I don't think they've seen anything like Owusu Koromoa or Kyle Hamilton. They have seen great pass rushers, uh, but they haven't seen, you know, stud linebackers and stud safeties like those two. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to go under. I think they can get one, potentially an interception of Howell, um, who doesn't throw a lot of interceptions, but he's not he's not the, he's not as careful with the football as like Ian Book is. But I, I'm not quite ready to commit to Notre Dame being able to force two turnovers, um, especially with Notre Dame's inability in the secondary to make interceptions, even though they've had opportunities to get them. Kyle Hamilton and Nick McLeod, they haven't necessarily come down with them at the rate where they, they could. So I'm going to go with no. Um, and uh, certainly if Notre Dame's defense can force two or more, I, I would think that would seemingly almost guarantee a, a victory for Notre Dame. Uh, next one I have for us is will Notre Dame lose a fumble? Well, Notre Dame has fumbled. <laughs> this year, Kyron Williams has been kind of fumbly. I mean, when you consider Notre Dame went like three seasons or more without losing a fumble from a running back, and then Kyron has had multiple ones this year in terms of at least fumbling. Yeah, we need to give Autry Denson more credit for that. <laughs> I don't yeah. think we gave him enough credit. <laughs> right. Um, we need to find out whatever drill he was running in practice. Um, but you know, North Carolina's only recovered two fumbles all year in eight games. So I'm going to say no. I don't think Notre Dame will fumble, lose a fumble. Yeah. Against my better judgment, I'm going to go with no, too. But to me, I, I, I tend to think that if you have fumble issues, they don't necessarily go away overnight, even if you have a, a bye week to, to spend extra time on it. And sometimes the fumbles can just be kind of a fluke situation. But um, I do think Notre Dame is good. Certainly focused in on that. I would be shocked if they weren't making that a priority these last couple of weeks after the Boston College game. Um, so I'll go with no as, uh, as well for Notre Dame losing a fumble. Next one is over under 275 passing yards for Ian Book. You know, I wrote down over, and I'm going to go with under the more <laughs> I kind of thought about it. Because, again, 
I think with ball control and with Notre Dame wanting to run the ball, there's not going to be 275 passing yards to get. You know, they're going to – Notre Dame will throw it down the field some, but they're going to throw to the tight ends a lot and throw some shorter ball control passes, I think. So I'm going to go under. Yeah, I, I think that that is, would certainly be a good recipe for Notre Dame. I, I think I think the game will be high scoring, and I think Notre Dame may have to throw the ball to get it get it there, whether or not it's building an early lead or kind of trading points back and forth with North Carolina. So I'm going to go over. I, I I just think his confidence is at a level where he's he's going to take some continue to take some more chances. Um, it, it's going to be interesting in a game like this, especially if they're playing with a lead. If he if he's willing to do stuff like that, but I do think that um, he will go over. I'm not expecting him to throw for like 400 yards or anything, but I think he can get in the 300-yard range um, this game against against North Carolina. Uh, next one I have for us is which team will record more first downs? Boy, this was a hard one for me to research, so I kind of just went with my gut. I, You know, North Carolina is a big chunk play team. They have – in both the running and the passing game. So – it would stand a reason to me if Notre Dame's trying to play ball control, they would have more plays, more first downs, right. even if North Carolina ends up with more yards. So I'll go with Notre Dame. I'm going to go with North Carolina. Um, let's get some difference in our picks here. And uh, I think that North oh, Carolina – one of you wrong, okay. <laughs> I think um, Notre Dame may build, build a bit of a lead. And then I think North Carolina is probably going to move the ball quite a bit in the second half. Um, and because of that, maybe maybe edges Notre Dame out in the first down category um, when, as it comes to that. Um, so let's get to final score predictions. What are your what is what is your final score prediction for Notre Dame North Carolina? Well, I kind of agreed with Dennis Dodd when he said that the probably the threshold to win is going to be thirty to thirty five points. Keep in mind the Clemson game was thirty three thirty three after regulation. Um, you know, when Boston College kept this game into the 20s, um, both teams were in the 20s in that game. North Carolina has played 21 games under Mac Brown. They've lost eight, and all eight were decided by seven points or fewer. So I'm going to go Notre Dame 33, North Carolina 28. I'm going high scoring. I, I'm just if if I if I predicting what I feel like is the most likely outcome, it's going to be a high-scoring game. Um, I, I think it could be more reasonable scoring um, with the score that, that you mentioned, but I, I'm going with Notre Dame 48, North Carolina 38. I think both teams are going to be able to put up some points, and uh, it's going to be quite a bit of fireworks uh, in, in Chapel Hill on Friday. Well, I'm glad I'm not doing the scoring summary. <laughs> yeah, me either. Good luck, Carter. All right, now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys – are we done with USC? Everybody's done. You guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right. Let's go. You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at TJamesNDI and Eric's at EHansonNDI. First question I have for us is from Chris Buckley at Topher15. Eric and Tyler, talk us ND fans off the ledge regarding the secondary this Friday. Do you feel the Irish defensive backs can keep up and defend this high-powered UNC passing game? There is so much hidden in that question uh, <laughs> because of that North Carolina is so good running the ball. If they weren't, I mean, 
Clemson's like 74th in the country in rush offense. And, and North Carolina's a top 15 rush offense. They're actually tied with Notre Dame at 14. And that's what complicates this question. The other thing that complicates the question, it's not just the defensive backs, it's the linebackers because uh, Javante Williams and uh, Michael Carter have 39 catches between them. I mean, that's like Notre Dame's second and third leading receiver. So they throw to those guys a lot. And I think Notre Dame's linebackers will actually match up with those guys pretty well. Um, the, the question is about the defensive backs holding up. What's the pass rush going to look like? Yep. And, you know, I, I, think, I think Sam Howell is going to end up with a lot of yards, but I think those, the defensive backs, especially with Kyle Hamilton kind of sweeping back there, I think are going to play good enough to win. You know, they're going to play winning football. Are they going to play suffocating, smothering, lockdown football? No, but I think they'll play good enough. Yeah, I, I think high-powered passing games like UNC's are next to impossible to sort of hold down for the whole game. There's going to be some lapses. There's going to be some big plays. So to think that Notre Dame – so there's going to be moments as a Notre Dame fan, you're like, man, we can't. What are we going to do to stop this? But I think Notre Dame will be able to have some resistance against that. But um, the secondary has struggled in the last two games, allowing more than 700 yards and four touchdowns against Clemson and Boston College. Um, but it also had played really well up to that point, where it had only allowed two touchdowns uh, through the air in the previous six games. Now, obviously, they weren't playing a lot of high-flying offenses to start the season. Um, so it, it's tough to say. UNC, UNC has thrown for 374 yards and a loss to Florida State, so they could they could throw for a lot of yards and still lose. Um, and, and they threw for only 225 yards against Boston College and won that game. Um, I Notre Dame, or North Carolina hasn't played a defense as good as as Notre Dame's, but I do think they're going to be able to make Notre Dame sweat and uh, cash in on some big plays. And I think it's just going to come down to whether Notre Dame can come up with enough big plays defensively or force enough turnovers to, to kind of maybe, I don't know if stop the bleeding is not necessarily the right way to say it, but to prevent for, pre- prevent North Carolina from maybe um, swinging a knockout punch or anything like that. The, the one thing I kind of like about Notre Dame in this matchup is that North Carolina doesn't have big receivers. You know, they're 5'11", 6'1", Dynami Brown and Daz, New, Daz Newsom and Simmons. They're all in that six-foot kind of-ish range. There's not a big 6'4 guy that's going to test you in the red zone. Now they're they're they can run past they can run past you, but yeah. um, they're not going to jump and leap over you. And I think it's important to note that this is a derivative of the air raid offense that Mike Leach popularized at Washington State and at Texas Tech uh, before that. And I it's not working so great at Mississippi State so far, but uh, yeah. Um, so that's expect to see that kind of uh, offense on Saturday or Friday. Yeah, you got to catch yourself. I I had written Saturday in a story before, but I caught it before I submitted it, so I fixed that one as well. Uh, next question we have is from Josh Melnick, Domer Colts fan. Travis Etienne is the best running back in the country. Given that, do you think the North that North Carolina's offense is on a similar level to Clemson as many have claimed, including Brian Kelly? 
Well, statistically, they're better, although Clemson has played better defensive teams. You know, North Carolina, for whatever reason, has skipped all the good defensive teams until now. <laughs> they have not played the top five defensive teams in the ACC yet, any of them. They, they'll end up playing Miami, and they'll end up playing Notre Dame. They don't play Clemson this year. Clemson clobbered Miami. Um, so, but Travis – ETN is not having an All-American year this year. He's really good with all-purpose yards. Uh, he's got a lot of receiving yards, but he's 60th in the country in yards per game. Uh, the two North Carolina players are both in the top 30. Kyron Williams is 31. Javian Hawkins, who opted out the other day, is 24th from Louisville. So I, I, think, I think North Carolina – other than the competition they've played, definitely deserves everything they're getting in terms of hyping their offense. Yeah, and the talent on the UNC offense is real. I mean, North Carolina's running backs are really good. Um, Javante Williams, I think, will be an NFL back. I think Michael Carter probably will be too. I don't know exactly how good they will be, but um, I think they have really shown themselves to be talented. And Tra Travis Etienne is more talented, but he's not having a better season than – Javante Williams is, um, and I, I think North Carolina's wide receivers are, are are talented too. So this isn't this isn't Brian Kelly hype. This isn't us sort of trying to get you prepared for, for what's coming on Friday by scaring you or anything. This is sort of our honest uh, opinion of what what North Carolina has on, on offense. And uh, Mac Brown has done a good job with with having getting talent in place. And Sam Howell has a big part of that. He's a really good quarterback, and so. Um, I think that this North Carolina defense or offense is giving Clark Lee a lot to think about um, over the bye week and into this week. And um, it'll be fascinating to see how, how Notre Dame sort of schemes up to defend it. Next question is from Baba Ganoush at PLACT underscore ITFDB. We keep hearing how bad North Carolina's defense is, but do you guys account for the fact that North Carolina with two weeks to prepare Will likely give their best effort yet since it's versus an undefeated and highly ranked Irish team. I don't think they'll be as bad as we've been to been led to believe this Friday. Um, well, I don't know who's been leading him to believe it, but <laughs> I will pile on to whoever is thinking that. I mean, they're not, I mean, they're kind of in the middle of the pack defensively from a national standpoint, uh, but they give up a lot of points in bunches. They take a lot of chances. They have a lot of sacks for a team that gives up as many points as they do. They, they do have a lot of sacks. So they're able to get to the quarterback and then it just seems like they cough it up on third down. Um, I don't think the bye week necessarily is going to help them. Now they had a double bye real early in the season and I believe it was COVID-related. They didn't play from September 12th to October 3rd and then laid an egg up at Boston College and almost got beat up there 26-22. So, I mean, I, I don't think the bye is going to help them any more than it helps Notre Dame. I think it came at a good time for Notre Dame, but I don't think North Carolina has an advantage because they ate better cheeseburgers than Notre Dame did. <laughs> yeah, I think Notre Dame – has the like you said the same sort of 
advantage in terms of being able to prepare for North Carolina's defense and finding ways to exploit it. Um, I, I do think North Carolina can probably do some things to disrupt Notre Dame, especially with two offensive linemen that are substitutes uh, playing for Notre Dame. But I, I don't think that the North Carolina defense is going to be imposing all of a sudden. Um, they've given up a lot of points to a lot of teams this season that aren't necessarily high-flying offenses. I mean, they gave up uh, in the 40s to Virginia Tech, who averages in the low 30s. So we're talking about teams playing above their average against North Carolina sort of on a regular basis in terms of scoring points. So um, I think if if North Carolina's defense is going to look a lot better than how it has been, it's going to require sort of Ian Book to take a big step back. And I, I don't expect that to happen at this point, but we will see. I mean, it's football. Nothing, nothing is guaranteed and everything can happen. Uh, next question is from Irish Zibby. The last time Notre Dame played a team with a good offense and a bad defense, the score was 12 to seven. What are the chances the score is anything close to that this week? I think it might be 12 to seven at some point in the first quarter. (laughs) Um, You know, Notre Dame has improved so much offensively and defensively. They had an amazing game plan for Louisville. You know, McHale slash Malik Cunningham was much better statistically last year. There's elements that Louisville has. They have Tutu Atwell, this great, streaky, fast wide receiver, but North Carolina has two of them. Louisville has JV and Hawkins as a running back, but North Carolina has two of them. <laughs> and so I, I don't anticipate 12 to 7 being the final score or even necessarily the score at the end of the first quarter. Yeah, I think both teams would have to have had some bad food on Thursday for it to be a low-scoring game like that on Friday. Uh, North Carolina's offense is so much better than Louisville's, as you mentioned, and um, Notre Dame's offense is so much better than it was back then. So it just seems seems highly unlikely that um, we, we see a repeat of that Louisville game. Next question is from Brian Swint at Brian Swint. Which is more important on Friday versus UNC? The defense plays lights out to slow down their offense or the ND offense plays lights out to stress the UNC offense to match scores? Well, I'm going to go with Notre Dame's defense playing lights out. If they play lights out, the offense, as long as it doesn't turn over, turn it over can be good and be good enough. I mean, if Notre Dame's defense played to what it's done all season, then Maybe the 12 7 thing looks more realistic. <laughs> but I think the defense setting the tone needs to be North Carolina needs to experience a little culture shock. Yeah, it's tough because I, I think if Notre Dame's defense does do that, it seems really hard for Notre Dame to lose the game. Right. But it also seems really hard for Notre Dame's defense to do that. So I, I'm having a hard time sort of wrapping my brain around. Notre Dame's defense playing lights out um, because it just seems like it's hard to do that, especially I guess, I guess I don't know if the hypothetical would mean that that Notre Dame's offense wouldn't be playing lights out. If, if you, if you had to sacrifice one team playing one side of the ball, playing lights out, does that mean Notre Dame's offense is struggling too? Um, Because then the margin still remains the same in terms of it being a thin margin. And um, 
I just think keeping North Carolina's offense from not making big plays the whole game, you can be playing really well, but then have a few blown plays and that, that can, that can be 14 or 21 points right, right there. So that's not lights out lights out is no big plays. So, so I, yeah. So I guess if, if, if Notre Dame's defense plays lights out, it's game over, I guess is the best way to put it. But I, I just don't see that as a, a really high probability of happening. Uh, next question is from Joe at Joey Salvatore. What should we expect from Josh Lug and Zeke Carell? They are both highly recruited guys, and Notre Dame's depth on the O-line is strong. So do you guys think we will have continuity on offense as far as the line is concerned? Well, I think there's going to be some hiccups just because – they haven't played together. You know, Josh Lug is filled in a little bit for Kramer at some points and a little bit for Hainsey at right tackle. You know, Zeke hasn't, I don't think has been in the game a lot with Lug. Um, And so the fact that they're next to each other, I think makes it a little bit more challenging because, you know, let's say Lug was at right tackle, then you have this veteran right guard to kind of, uh, settle things, but right. they're going to be right next to each other. I mean, Lug was really good last year, right tackle filling in. Uh, but, I mean, I think there will be a few hiccups, but I don't think North Carolina's defensive line is going to make them pay. You know, the interior of their defensive line isn't going to make them pay dearly for those mistakes, and I think they'll they'll learn from them. I mean, the thing is, those guys are both really good players with both really good pedigree. Yeah, I think – Certainly, like you said, North Carolina's front isn't the toughest matchup for Notre Dame, so I, that certainly helps to make things easier for Josh Logan, Zeke Carell. I think they're both talented. Um, certainly, I'm, I'm more nervous about Zeke Carell just because he hasn't been put in a sit- live situation in college like this where Josh, Josh Logan has done the job at, at tackle, which, in my opinion, it's more difficult to do what he was doing at tackle than it will be for what he's being asked to do at right guard. Um, so I, I think – I think they'll both be competent. The biggest concern is sort of communication and a lack of chemistry together. And how does North Carolina try to exploit that? I would, I, I would imagine North Carolina is going to be blitzing in the a gap between those guys as much as they think they can That's without a little bit too probably with, with without exposing the rest of their defense. So I think make, testing whether or not Zeke Carell and Josh Luck could be on the same page, both in, in pass protection and in run blocking, I think will. Um, be what North Carolina tries to do. But I, I think they'll be okay. Um, like I mentioned last week, I think the takeaway from what Josh Lug and, and Trevor Rulin did in their appearances to end last season should be um, an example of how prepared Jeff Quinn has the backup. And even Dylan, even Dylan Gibbons, when he was asked to play at times when Aaron, uh, Liam Eikenberg hurt his eye and Aaron Banks moved out to tackle, I think Dylan Gibbons played played well in that moment. So I think uh, – I think – so all signs point to these guys being able to play well, but they got to go out there and do it. And I'm, I'm interested to see how that, how that plays out. Next question. Another offensive line question from at Marie, Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. If Zeke Carell plays well, do you see Jarrett Patterson moving to tackle next year? Well, I think it's a great question because Jarrett Patterson came in as a left tackle and they really liked what he did as a true freshman within that four game framework where he got to um, redshirt, but Notre Dame has some pretty good left tackle talent coming up. Um, Andrew Kristoffic 
and uh, Tosh Baker. And then there's the possibility of moving Aaron Banks out there. Um, you know, my sense is, you know, when I had asked Brian Kelly about the younger offensive linemen, you know, Zeke Carell as a guard is, I think, kind of what they're looking at and then keeping Jared Patterson. He's so good at center now. I wouldn't mess with that. I, I'd put Zeke Carell at guard and have those guys play next to each other. Yeah, I, I think I'd opt for keeping Patterson at center, um, especially for the sake of continuity with what could be a very inexperienced line next season. Um, I think I, I like having Jared Patterson in the center of that line. Now, certainly if he if he can play as well at left tackle as he has at center or even better, um, then maybe it's more valuable to have him at left tackle than at center if Zeke Carell is competent at center. So I think there's a number of options. I think it, it could could and likely will d- depend a lot on what Jeff Quinn feels he needs more, whether that's he needs another guard with Zeke Carell potentially next year or if he needs a tackle and Jarrett Patterson um, because he doesn't necessarily like his options with whether or not Aaron Banks is back if they want to move him out. Um, or if Andrew Kostafik or, or even Quinn Carroll are question marks at either the tackle positions, um, or if, like I mentioned, Dylan Gibbons has a potential returning uh, guard option next year. Um, so there's a lot of moving pieces, and that's something that uh, Notre Dame isn't afraid to move guys around on the offensive line. They'll try to get the best five out there, and um, we, we have so so little insight to how, how those five are de- those backups are developing. Um, so there's a lot of options out there, but um, I think it would be a good problem to have if, if Zeke Carell plays well at center and trying to figure out where do, you, where do you play him and where do you play Jared Patterson next year. Next question is from at Ty Carter 22. Can you explain the ACC championship thing? If Miami makes up their game and Clemson does not, and they both win out, wouldn't Miami have a higher winning percentage than Clemson? And that would then cause Clemson to miss the ACC championship game, or am I missing something? Well, it would certainly get Dabo to reschedule that Florida State game. With it. <laughs> um, the ACC did consider this, and so they built it in. They baked it into their tiebreaker uh, formula. So, if Clemson's nine and one and Miami's ten and one, if you are even in the loss column, but you played a different amount of games, head to head, still rules that tiebreaker over winning percentage. So Clemson beating Miami would still count uh, as Clemson winning the tiebreaker. Yeah, and I, I think the only way that that like uh, the both teams having one loss would not go to head to head would be if somehow Clemson played fewer. I think that what's what's the wording I have right here? If uh, in the event there's an unequal total number of conference games, or no, this isn't what I was what I was trying to. Write. But essentially, there, there's something to do with the, the average numbers of games. If you've played less than one total conference game than the average of the conference, which will require a lot of math that I don't know how, and we don't know how that will play out. If, if, but if some reason Clemson played maybe two or three less games than Miami and they both had one yeah. loss, then it would be yeah. possible that the winning percentage right. would be a factor and not, it wouldn't be the number of losses. But it, it seems highly unlikely that Clemson wouldn't play enough games um, at the end of the season for that to matter. Um, next question is related to ACC championship from Stanley in Tampa. If Notre Dame loses to North Carolina but wins its last two games, is there any scenario when Endy does not qualify for the ACC championship game? No. Um, they own the tiebreaker 
over both Clemson individually and Miami individually and in a three-way tie with Clemson and Miami. So any two of three games that they win uh, among North Carolina, Syracuse, and Wake Forest puts them in the ACC championship game. Yeah, the three-way tie works that you take the head-to-head records of those three teams – and since Notre Dame beat Clemson, they're one and zero against those two teams. Clemson would be one and one with against a win against Miami and a loss against Notre Dame, and then Miami is zero and one having played and lost to Clemson. So that's how Notre Dame would win out that three way tie, and then Clemson would be in there with them. All right. Next question is from Frank Sarah at Frank Sarah three. How many players are allowed to travel during COVID? Did they increase the amount? Well, Notre Dame, as an independent, kind of had control over that. And they didn't overdo that, uh, but but the ACC rule was 72. They did increase it to 80 this year because of COVID. So 80 is the magic number. Yeah, and I, we, I don't know how many Notre Dame has had travel. They haven't been providing a travel list, <laughs> um, so we can't sit there and count. And uh, our one person that is allowed at the game – um, we haven't asked them to count. I, did, I didn't count every player on the sideline against the, against Boston College, so I don't know how many they've been traveling. And I, honestly, it's not something that I think about or, or, or track them up. Like, I, I don't know how many Notre Dame has, has traveled in the past when, they're, when they weren't in the, playing in the ACC. I don't even know what that number is. So um, they have expanded it, but I don't, I don't really know if, if Notre Dame has expanded its own travel roster, if it's kind of stuck with the same formula. Next question is from curmudgeonly hopeful at Domer 94. So Brian Kelly has 100 wins over a decade now. How long will he remain? Is there a succession plan? Is it Clark Lee? Doesn't everyone want to know this? (laughs) I, I, this question exhausts me because the answer would be different every year in which Brian Kelly would end his time at Notre Dame. The other thing that's, in the mix is Jack Swarbrick isn't necessarily going to be there at the end of Brian Kelly's regime. He could be, I think he'd like to be, but he may just say, mm, I want to go drink Mai Tai somewhere. Um, he's going to beat Brian Kelly to the Mai Tais? Is that what you're saying? He's going to, he, he, well, he's older. I mean, he's older <laughs> than Brian Kelly. Um, so he, he may beat him to the Mai Tais. The other thing is, I guess I don't understand this whole line of succession things. It feels like we're talking about the queen of England. (laughs) Uh, You know, I have not seen a lot of situations where this coach in waiting has worked out. I remember when Will Muschamp was the coach in waiting for Mac Brown at Texas and that never happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Just things change. It's like, let's just wait till we get there uh, because I mean, unless you want to call Miss Cleo and spend whatever 99 cents a minute, you know, we don't know when this is going to end. And every year would be different. The The options of good coaches are going to look different. The finances are going to look different. Um, I think Clark Lee certainly would be a guy that would merit um, that he would merit getting a look. But boy, I think having been a head coach is so valuable. So I, you know, I I would hope he'd go somewhere else, be a head coach, and then come back. 
Yeah, I, I I refuse to believe that ND will promote a head coach from its own staff, um, especially if this program stays where it's at whenever Brian Kelly does leave. The program's going to be in way too good of a shape for someone to just promote from within. You're going to have – I think you should have your pick of the litter in terms of who you want to come to Notre Dame. Now, obviously, there's challenges that Notre Dame presents, but the program is going to be in – in better shape than it's been in a long time when, when a new head coach was taking it over. So I, I think Clark Lee would have to go somewhere else and then maybe come back to Notre Dame if he wants to be a, the head coach of Notre Dame. Um, so may, I mean, maybe he, he could have enough time to do that by, by the time Brian Kelly ends his career here. I, it's hard for me to get, get a sense for how long Brian Kelly wants to stay. Um, I think he probably the wants to. Is through 2024, but that doesn't mean – Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, you can't have a you can't you can't have a Jim Harbaugh contract and and be be getting to the, near the end of it. That's not how it normally works in college football. But I, I think he's probably enjoying the the spoils of what he has sort of built at Notre Dame, and so it's probably going to be a hard thing for him to walk away from. Um, so especially if things keep going as well as they are this season. So uh, I don't I don't have a good feel on when Brian Kelly wants to walk away and how that will all play out um, because. I mean, if he can, if he can go through, handle everything that's been thrown at him this season, um, and and I mean, he's already handled the four and eight season. How much, how much worse could it possibly get? So, he's he's probably he's probably I don't know. It'd be an interesting question to ask him if he's enjoying um, being the coach, head coach in Notre Dame now more than more now than he ever has before. I and mean, this season might be a tough time to ask him that because of how how strange this year is. But I think moving forward, that that might be true. Uh, another fascinating question here from Conrad at Chief underscore 222. In both your and Eric's times covering college football, who are the five best teams you've seen play in person and, if possible, rank them? Well, I've been covering college football since 1983, and I covered the Big Ten like the first 12 years of that. Um, although I got pulled off the Big Ten to cover the 1993 1993 Florida State game, one versus two. So, and I'm going to count Clemson in here. I wasn't in Dallas, but I was there in spirit. So, uh, <laughs> I'm going to count Clem 2018 Clemson in there. So, I'll go number five, 2004 USC national champs. 2005 USC, or I'm number four would be 1993 Florida State. Number three, 2005 USC national runners up uh number two 2018 clemson and number one 2012 alabama did you obviously your list is is, has a lot more teams possible on it did you consider including any notre dame teams on your list Uh, i didn't because i thought it was i thought they wanted opponents Um, yeah yeah, he didn't necessarily specify i guess you, you so I, I I've considered whether or not to include a Notre Dame team, and I, I do have. It. I'm not sure because I I have national champions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, national runners up. Although Notre Dame was in 2012, but I right. I don't I think, think they would beat the 2005 USC team. Right. It's it's harder to make that cut well, on your list. Um, my number. So my number five team is Notre Dame from 2018, um, and, and it's. I think right now it's sort of a three-way toss-up between the 2012 team and the, and this current 2020 team, depending on how play, things play out um, for the fifth-best team for me. But I went with the 2018 team right now. Um, the number four team for me is Florida State in 2014. 
um, that had Jameis Winston, Dalvin Cook, Jalen Ramsey, obviously Notre Dame almost beat that team. Um, obviously, you, the, the list here, the top of all teams Notre Dame lost to. The number three, I have Georgia in 2017. That team was really good, um, even though they had Jake Fromm as a freshman quarterback, um, Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, DeAndre Swift, Roquan Smith, Lorenzo Carter, DeAndre Baker. Uh, so much talent on that team. Notre Dame almost beat that team as well. Uh, the Clemson 2015 team is number two. Uh, Runner-up that year, Sean Watson and Wayne Gallman. Notre Dame almost beat that team as well. Um, I w- so, and so I wasn't at the 2012 National Championship game, so I did not include Alabama on my list. And so the 2018 uh, Clemson team, uh, which was the National Championship, was the number one on my list. I mean, I would – I covered a- – uh, a game or two in 1988 in Notre Dame's because of the Big Ten crossover. They played three Notre Dame yeah, yeah. or three Big Ten teams. So I would definitely put 1988 Notre Dame on this list somewhere and probably in 1993 too. But I'm, you know, that would make Notre Dame fans happy if I put them ahead of 1993 Florida State, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, that'd be a good one. All right. Uh, we got some, we got, uh, a few Thanksgiving questions here and another different question as well. Uh, first one is from Phil at Phil Rister Four. which offensive lineman of the Kelly era would compete at the highest level 10 minutes after Thanksgiving dinner? Well, I think it would be Quentin Nelson under any circumstance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Quentin Nelson would eat, you know, people for dessert after the Thanksgiving dinner. So Quentin Nelson's pretty easy for me. Yeah, I can imagine Quentin Nelson eating Thanksgiving dinner between series, like just coming to the sideline <laughs> and having a helping of just mashed potatoes and, and a turkey leg or something. So I, I, in most of these scenarios, I'm, I'm always picking Quentin Nelson. Uh, next question we have is from at ND Football Usher, and he didn't have much of a question. It was more of a prompt. Barstool took down the Cathedral of College Football thoughts, and I'll explain this for anyone who may not understand what he's referring to. Um, Barstool had a video that showed, um, I think it was two different people dressed up as ushers, and they led us to believe that they snuck into the game as ushers. They were allowed into the game, the Clemson-Notre Dame game, um, and they were they were able to get through Notre Dame security because they were dressed up as ushers, and apparently the other ushers were treating them as if they were ushers because they had they had the right attire to look, make it seem as if they were ushers. So that was the scenario. Uh, was a bit comical and a, a bit strange that it happened. I'm not sure, and I, I, I'm not sure what to believe exactly if it's if it's totally true and if there was something else that happened behind the scenes to make it happen. But um, what was your thoughts on it? I don't know if you watched it or, or, or caught up on that at all, uh, Eric. I watched it. I just didn't know what the context was. I didn't know was this doctored video. You know, I didn't know. I mean, I thought the premise was kind of mildly amusing, and I. I'd only had one cup of coffee when I watched it. <laughs> so maybe I would have been ha ha laughing out loud more, but I just, I, so I'm not a good one to answer it. I, I, there's been funnier things on the video and I was confused because uh, I was watching the voice last night and Usher, the singer is the <laughs> mega mentor. So, so it always I, comes I, back to the voice for you. These it days. always comes back to the voice. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know how serious to take it. I, I, I think um, it certainly makes ND security look bad if that, if what it, the way it was presented is how it happened. And I, I don't understand why the, the ushers or former ushers that 
um, participate in the video why they would do that or maybe they don't want to be an usher anymore and that's why they they took part in helping with this it seemed like a good way to, to lose your job as an usher. I don't even know if those guys are real former ushers or ushers. yeah yeah I guess I don't necessarily know that for sure either um, I, my, I, to me it's and I think I've pointed this out before I think it's it would be easier to convince Notre Dame that you are a family member of a faculty or staff member and go with someone who is a faculty or staff member to get, get into the game that way than it was to through all the hassle that they went through to, as pretending to be ushers. So I, 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 so I, it, I thought it was kind of funny. I thought it was kind of strange. I, I, I don't think it's anything near the level of taking down the cathedral of college football, but it was a, it was a funny spoof. And uh, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't totally know the value of, of what it was, if it's supposed to make Notre Dame look bad or I, I don't really know. I don't, the premise was, was escaped me a little bit, but I think uh, it was certainly an interesting idea and kind of kind of funny the way they, they presented it. I mean, in full disclosure, when I was maybe 11, I tried – or 12, I tried to sneak in an Ohio State game as a Coca-Cola salesman. <laughs> One of my friends did that as a kid, and he was sick, so I decided I'd go and pretend to be him. And then they asked me what my address was, and I couldn't remember what his address was. So, oh no! Yeah, so I was didn't get in. Well, if for if for nothing else, the fact that we got that story makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, two more Thanksgiving questions. One's from Chris Fleck at Chris Fleck One. Cranberry sauce from a can or homemade? I mean, really, neither. I'm just going <laughs> to dump it in the trash anyway, so <laughs> might as well just open a can. Yeah, yeah, we're both I, we're we're both team no cranberries, so I'm with you on that. And the last one is from at Dick Brown CEO. What's your favorite Thanksgiving side? Oh, I don't know if I want to tell this story because it makes my heart hurt. Um, <laughs> my favorite Thanksgiving side for the taste is uh, sweet potatoes. My favorite Thanksgiving side. It's hard for me to tell the story because it's about my grandpa. Um, and it's a very unusual Thanksgiving <laughs> side. Um, when I was a little kid, I was kind of a picky eater and not that that's completely escapes me now. <laughs> um, but my dad was really angry about that quality in me. So whenever we'd eat at my grandparents' house, my grandpa would do two things. One, he would put ketchup on anything I put ketchup on. <laughs> so that my dad couldn't say I was being too weird. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And the number two thing was he'd always have baked beans because he knew I liked that. So every meal, whether we had lasagna or lamb or whatever, there were always baked beans on the table. And that included Thanksgiving. And to this day, we have baked beans every Thanksgiving. That's, that's awesome. That's Thanksgiving because awesome. of my grandpa, who that's was the cool. greatest. Yeah, um, my favorite Thanksgiving side, and a lot of my th our, our Thanksgiving stuff. I mean, that's the that's the great part about Thanksgiving. I, I mean, at least in my opinion, um, is that a lot of it is family traditions and family recipes and stuff like that. So we have strange food at Thanksgiving for that most people wouldn't eat. We we have uh, dumplings and um, cabbage. That's a, a hand me down from my great grandma. Um, we the stuffing recipe that my mom makes is from my, her mother. Um, that, that, so that's, that's my favorite stuffing is the, is my favorite to me. There's no contest. I, I love stuffing. Um, and the, the bonus of this year, since I'm not, I'm not traveling to the North Carolina game on Friday, 
Um, I will have plenty of time to eat leftovers from my, my parents' Thanksgiving this weekend. So I, I've been missing out on that the last few years traveling out to California, which is no necessarily complaint to me. Traveling out to California the weekend of Thanksgiving is always pretty fun. Uh, but this year, staying home, being with family on Thursday, um, and then having leftovers, uh, maybe a halftime of the North Carolina game tomorrow will be – or Friday um, will be a good time. All right, that's it for today's episode of Pot of Gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. We're creeping closer to our goal of 200 ratings, so thank you for those who have been submitting those on Apple Podcasts. Um, if you listen to, listen to us over there um, and haven't already, go ahead and drop us a line. Uh, shout out to Jordan Schreiber, NYYND, Mark Yoder, Dial H Fan Club, and WH and TKH for their recent reviews. Uh, Tom Noe and Carter Carls will be back this weekend with a recap of Friday's Notre Dame-North Carolina game. Stick with NDInsider.com for all your pregame and postgame coverage needs and have a happy and healthy Thanksgiving.